different rules for Asian American actors, even though I don't want to, to, you know, I'd rather be an actor who just happens to be Asian, but it's like, there's, there's certain reality that sets in where, you know, you talk to agents and they're like, the amount of roles that are out here for you, even if you booked all of them, wouldn't justify my salary to represent you. (laughs) You know, even if you booked all of them, because there's like nothing out there, you guys created something in this void. There still is a void that the industry hasn't caught up yet, you know? So it was like a rude awakening, like the next year where I just talked about making less than $10,000 was, I think it was, it was actually less than a thousand dollars that I made the next year acting because I turned down everything. and welcome to Spill Your Guts. I'm your host, Kevin Lane. In 2006, a new horror icon was born. Fatigued by the endless defanged remakes and sequels of the time, lifelong horror fanatic Adam Green set out to create a new unstoppable killer, very much in the mold of slasher superstars Michael Myers, Freddy Krueger, and most of all, Jason Voorhees. In fact, his film will not only feature such genre royalty as Robert England and Tony Todd, but Jason himself, Kane Hodder as the film's deformed giant, Victor Crawley. Green's film, set in the New Orleans swamps, where an ill-fated tour bus is wrecked and its passengers are left stranded with much more to worry about than alligators, was a spot-on love letter to 80 slasher classics. As you've probably guessed by now, the film I'm talking about was Hatchet. Filled with insane gore set pieces, hilarious dialogue, and a totally game cast, the movie succeeded in creating a new franchise and has so far been followed by three sequels. Only one actor, other than Kane Hodder, has appeared in every film in the series. As scene-stealer with many of the best lines in the series, this actor has cemented himself as a fan favorite. Our guest today is Perry Shen. Perry is a busy man. He loves to work, and one need only look at his IMD profile to see he has a rich and varied career as an actor. From a starring role in Justin Lin's critically acclaimed crime drama, Better Luck Tomorrow, to series regular on General Hospital, to his many credits as a voice actor, Perry cannot be stopped. And who would want to? He's a welcome presence in anything he's in. Terrific timing and presence to boot. Perry has made a name for himself with genre fans with credits in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Full Moon's Shrieker, and The Hazing. But it was his work in the Hatchet series that has cemented him as a genre name. Perry and I talk on some of the challenges he has faced as an Asian American actor and how the business has changed. The pratfalls of confusing being strategic with your career to perhaps being more particular than you can afford to be, and how his love for the movies means he's always the consummate professional on set, but always excited to be there. It's time to return to the swamps and the turf of Victor Crowley with our guide, Perry Shen. Hello, this is producer and editor of Spill Your Guts, Jason Hill, welcoming you to the show. We recorded this episode very early on, and unfortunately, we ran into some microphone issues, so at about the halfway point, the sound quality changes. We did try to work it out, but unfortunately, it is still noticeable. 
apologies, and enjoy the show. Hey, Barry. Hey, how's it going? Pretty good, man. How are you? Excellent. Excellent. I'm glad to hear that. Welcome to uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to have you here and 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 chat with you. I it was fun. I got to one of the the joys of of hosting this show is I get to watch a lot of people's movies before they come on. So I went through and watched uh, everything from like Shrieker, The Hazing, all your Hatchet films. It was oh, wow. you, most of your horror movies are fun. You're in like fun horror movies. Most of them have humor. Most of them have like uh, they've got sort of the tongue in the cheek in some way, or they're yeah. You haven't done any ones where I need a shower afterwards or anything, right? Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Actually, I haven't even um, that hadn't really dawned upon me. But um, I think that's what I sort of always gravitate to. Um, I always find some sort of humor in it, and I, I, I guess that's would be more difficult if I were to be in any. Or of their, you know, like like the hyper realistic ones, you know, like like the Saw franchise or something like that. Yeah. Do you do you like? Are you a horror movie fan? Like, other than being in them, do you watch horror movies? Um, I don't. I've obviously uh, accumulated appreciation for it, uh, what, having made them and know the art form that goes into them to to create the effects, especially the practical effects. Um, so I, I marvel at that. But I don't normally seek out. Uh, horror films, um, but I do watch them though. Uh, it's it's kind of like I've kind of like I'm kind of like a, a top forties kind of guy with movies. You know, I kind of watch a little bit of of everything. You know, not too much of everything, but I know everything. So, right. What's what's sort of your go to genre for you? Like, if you're just gonna throw something on, do you have like a, a one that you're like, well, that's kind of where I settle on? Uh, kind of like a, the, the sci fi situation. That's kind of like my my happy thing where, where it's sort of like what if situation, you know, um, I, I love right. that, that kind of stuff, you know. Do you have like a, a favorite sci-fi movie or series like your your uh, your comfort food sci-fi film? Right. Yeah, it, it, it's for a long, long time. It was Gattaca. Um, I, I, I love oh, that. Okay. I, would, I would watch it all the time. Um, and, and, and then, and then for a while, um, there was a time where it was like Memento, you know, where that was not, not a sci-fi, but it was very like, it, it, it sort of like changed the boundaries of just like, you know, of conventional story thinking and, you know, what was going on. So, yeah, so that, that kind of, that kind of stuff that kind of like makes your, your mind kind of like, whoa, what's going on, you know? I remember the first time I saw memento and i was just like that movie just sort of floored me i was like what is going on and as you start to sort of piece things together and then the rug gets pulled out from under again that's such a that movie you can watch quite a few times too and sort of pick up something different right absolutely i I remember watching it my husband and i went to see uh, like it was like a nolan retrospective thing and they had that in memento and it was uh Oh, what's the one with DiCaprio with the ceiling change? Oh, Inception. 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 Yeah, Inception. Yeah. 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 And by, yeah, yeah, by the one. time we yeah. came out, yeah, great movie. And by the time I came after watching, I was just like, those movies are so like, uh, they really flip you upside down and spin you around. Just like, you yeah. know, there's so yeah. much to keep up. 
It's you right. can't be passive I with even, those I, movies. I even enjoyed Interstellar. Just the the fact of just the concept of him being on a planet that rotates at a much you know faster or slower rate. That uh, you know when he gets back to the spaceship, it's like twenty years has passed, and it's like oh my god, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. That was a great movie. I, I didn't. The only Nolan movie I didn't really get into is the last movie, that Tenet one. Tenet. I know. I know what you said. Yeah, yeah. I think that's kind of across the board with everybody. <laughs> He's usually very good. About, uh, Nolan's just very good about you know whatever craziness is going on or, or high concept is going on in his mind. He's able to like convey it. That's what what impressed me about Interstellar. I was like, wow, this was so high concept, but I totally followed it and that just wasn't the case with Tenet. I was like always like five steps behind going what is wait I still don't understand what's going on you know I know it's one of those movies too where it's like if someone asks me to sort of explain the events of you know Memento even or 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 you know uh Interstellar I can talk about what those movies are about if someone were to ask me, well, what's Tenet about? I'd be like, I don't really know. I didn't, I yeah. think I stopped kind of caring at a certain point. Though. Yeah. That's <laughs> like, partway through that I movie, I just sort of work on that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's some, I mean, you know, even a Nolan movie that isn't firing on all cylinders is still going to be something with redeeming qualities. So it's technically beautifully made and all. Mm-hmm. That. I thought, I thought, um, uh, what's his name? Robert Pattinson. I thought he was great in that. Uh, Yes, yeah, I'm, I'm glad he's getting appreciated, you know, with, you know, away from just the Twilight films, you know, that he's being appreciated for what he can do. Yeah, that's, you know, it's funny, like, you go back and if you, if you, if you feel you need to, you go back and look at some of those Twilight movies. My niece is about the age where she, like, is started to check them out a bit. And I was like, well, Patterson is even interesting in those. It's, it, Kristen Stewart's been <laughs> settled with the God awful, boring character though in those films. She just spends the whole movie right, being yeah. depressed and mopey and yeah, <laughs> it's like... yeah. It's unfortunate, yeah, that she has to be stuck in that zone all the time. I saw this great Beavis, Beavis and Butthead. They kind of like brought it back for a bit and did this great sketch where Beavis and Butthead go to the theater to see one of the Twilight movies, and they think the movie is about a werewolf and a vampire that fall in love with a zombie. Um. Right. <laughs> Which I thought was kind of the perfect way to describe those movies. Yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> so you were born in Queens, right? You're from Queens? Yes. Uh, Queens, New York. Yeah, that's when I was born and raised. Did you grow up there? Like, did you spend most of your childhood in Queens? Uh, pretty much, yeah. I, I just moved out to California right after college graduation. So pretty much, you know, 21 years of my life was in, in Queens, New York. Okay, so did you move out to California to pursue an acting career? Or what brought you out to California? Yes, uh, I came out to California to pursue an acting career. Um, I, I was a business major in um, in college, and I tried to do like the entertainment side of the business because that was like the safer way. But I still have a toe in you know the entertainment business, but uh, I just everyone I talked to kind of like came back from graduation and that I knew known and they'd been out in the real world. And like a lot of people, everybody was like, just not happy with their jobs. And they're like, Oh man, I'm getting starting to get stuck into the, you know, where I am. I've got a pension, I've got a family. And then I kind of realized that, um, if I was to do something quote unquote, unpractical, it would have to be now when I didn't have any ties. So I kind of 
it was kind of an eye-opening situation where I'm like, you know, even though this is, I'm kind of going without a, <laughs> without a net, jumping without a net, that this would probably be the only time they're able, able to do something like this. Um, and I just didn't want, I, I saw all my friends, I mean, they were my friends, you know, who were just a couple years older than me. And I saw that they were so unhappy and I felt really horrible because I could see myself being them in, in you know, a, a short period of time. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's one of those things, too, where I think for a lot of people who get, you, once you kind of get that bug of like, you know, well, I'm not going to be happy with that kind of job because I love the arts, whatever that, you know, it's not necessarily right. being an actor, I think, directors, writers. I know a lot of people, though, who kind of share that. For myself, I remember, you know, when I decided to commit to being a director, I was like, I can't imagine being whatever, 75 on some patio in a rocking chair and be like, I wish I had stuck with that, given that a go. Like, I just didn't want that narrative in my life, you know? Right, absolutely, yeah. And I still feel like, you know, for you probably have this with, with friends or people who, like, you know, that didn't try that thing. They're like, oh, I had always wanted to do this, but it just seemed impractical. And there's that right. part of them that almost seems like they, they kind of wish they had, you know? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, it's, 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 uh, you know, everybody, you know, they, they, they see the, the end result, like, you know, some, I was like at a restaurant and somebody came up and recognized me for something and was very excited and came back again and it was Valentine's Day. So they gave me some Valentine's Day candies and they were like, I want to be an actor. And this was like, just you know, silently shook my head. I'm like, dude, you don't know how long it took to freaking get to this place, man. You know, you, you see the end. You don't see the times where I was making, you know, like less than ten thousand dollars a year. You know, and and like and freaking out. You know, and so yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. It's like uh, not that long ago, a friend of mine's brand new girlfriend who I I didn't know well, and she was sort of you know, learning about some of the people I'd worked with. And she said, oh, so um, when did you know you wanted to be famous? And I was like, I'm not famous. And she was like, but when did you, but you're working towards being famous. When did you, I was like, I'm not working towards being famous. She was right. like, well, you know what I mean? I was like, not really. <laughs> but it, like, the, I don't think that anyone I know decided to work in film or television based on the drive of, you know what, I think I'd like to be famous because if you did, you're probably going to be very disappointed. Like how few people achieve that. So if that's your motivator, I just don't see how that could be a good one. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's going to be tough to, to go through the, the down downturns, you know, um, if, if that is the only thing, you know, you, you know, I, I know, I mean, you know, everybody has that, that side, but if it's the only thing, then it's going to be just that much harder. You know, <laughs> you're making your list of pros and cons, <laughs> your list of pros is, is just one, one thing, right? Yeah, that's it. Right. I mean, it's, and it's, it's weird too, because I think that like, you know, when you, when you work with people who are sort of big name stars or whatever, and you know, you see how little of that matters at a certain point for for those people too so you kind of it starts to seem less and less important than the work that you're doing and the people you're working with and the script and the story you're telling like all of that becomes much more the excitement at a certain point i think especially i think as you're getting you know more comfortable with your body of work and the kind of work you're doing like for you you've had a lot of diversity in your career from you know the horror pictures you do and then working in television like um did you sort of set out to do a certain kind of thing or did you like just kind of have no game plan you just wanted to act 
Um, that changed. Uh, let's see. I think every beginning actor is like you know when they're learning you know the technique and the craft and and they're just a little bit more serious. You know, they they study kind of like who study careers, try to model careers, try to model pathways, and then life happens, right? <laughs> and, and you get yeah. projects tossed to you and then there's compromises. And, and so like a good example is like, I think six years into my career, I was doing a lot of just standard. There was, there wasn't a lot of diversity. So anytime an Asian American or Asian character was brought on to a procedural show, it'd be like, oh, it's the Chinatown time episode in, in CSI, you know? Um, that's that's the vibe where they bring right. us all. Yeah. They're, they're going to Chinatown. They need the Chinese gangsters. They need the martial artists. They need the translators. Uh, so it was like that situation, or it was just a minor character that really didn't forward the story. It'd be like, you know, delivering food while the main actors were doing something, right? Like, oh, I got the Chinese food. Thank you. Here's a delivery. Thanks. Here's a good tip. Bye. That's it, right? Um, so it's it was like nothing that is very forgettable, you know. And and the, right. at the yeah. time you you're working, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and I got to stand up and say, should I get the principal? And that's it, <laughs> you know. Um, and then when came this movie that I did called is that actually what you did on Buffy. Yeah, it was an episode called Innocence, where Buffy sleeps with uh, Angel for the first time and sh- and changes him to an evil vampire because you know he he's not he, he, you know so um so it was it was a pretty important episode, but I have such a small part in it. Uh, but I was excited at the time, you know, because I'm like, wow, this is awesome. You know, I had a crush on Sarah Michelle Gellar, you know, so this is amazing. But you you step back you know, years later with perspective, you're like, wow, I'm just getting tossed these little scraps and, and, you know, you know, trying to be appreciative about it, but it's not building a a career really that I I wanted. Uh, I didn't want to be the one liner guy. (laughs) Um, So came this movie um, called better luck tomorrow, um, which was a independent film written by Justin Lin co-written by Justin Lin, who's gone on to do all the fast and furious movies and uh, it was about uh, five Asian American teenagers who sort of go on a downward spiral after they 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 kill a, a fellow student of theirs. You know, they think they can get away with anything. You know, and it just it's based on a true story. And that went to Sundance and critically acclaimed. It was uh, Paramount uh, optioned it, and and it did really well. We we were the number one movie uh, that weekend per screen. We made like uh, forty grand a screen. We were only in like five theaters. You know, and um, it was really great. And so then it became like real serious. I'm like just studying, like I'm like John Favreau did, you know, swingers. And then he went on to do like bigger films like Jurassic Park 2. And all of a sudden, different rules for Asian American actors, even though I don't want to, to, you know, I'd rather be an actor who just happens to be Asian. But it's like there's there's certain reality that sets in where, you know, you talk to agents and they're like, like there's the amount of roles that are out out here for you are even if you booked all of them wouldn't justify my salary to represent you <laughs> you know even if you booked all of them because there's like nothing out there you guys created something in this void that there still is a void that the industry hasn't caught up yet you know so it was like a rude awakening like the next year where I just talked about making less than $10,000 was, I think it was, it was actually less than, it was less than a thousand dollars. I made the next year acting because I turned down everything, 
You know, I was like trying to make smart choices, trying to be like Tom Cruise, pick the projects that you are good projects, work with great directors. And, and that's how you progress your careers. Like that, the, the different, it's, it, I didn't even have those options, you know? So, um, then it was sort of like a rethinking of like, what do I do? Do I just turn on everything? And, and now I make like $600 on this one great independent movie the next year that I believed in, but turned on everything. Um, so then um, the year afterwards um, was kind of like a retooling where, and then also I got a lot of hate from my, the, the Asian American community. Cause I would like, I take this great role on a TV show, uh, but I, I, I play a Korean guy and they're like, you're Chinese you can't play Korean, you know, and I got hate from my own <laughs> community. And it's like, wow, it's like, I can't, I can't, the only person who's paying attention to my career is me, really. And if I'm okay with taking something, I should trust that I'm going to do the best that I can. You know, I don't, I can't care about the, what the Asian community is going to say. I can't care about what people are be like, you are in better luck tomorrow. How can you be taking this piece of crap? You know, it's like, I'm just going to do what I do. And, and a lot of the stuff that was still out there was very, very borderline racist. Like, and I said, I, I, I thought that I was like, I had so much more experience with them and was more empowered that I felt that. I needed to get those roles to almost take it out of the hands of, of people who were inexperienced and was just going to kind of do anything because they were in that Buffy stage and being like, Oh, I'll do anything. I'll do whatever you want me to do. You know? So a good example with this was uh, hatchet hatchet came that next, that, that following like two years later after that realization of like, you just gotta, you just gotta take work and make the best of it. And, and, and uh, whatever role you have. And so I, I, um, the hatchet role was this, uh, he was a con artist and he's taking these guys on a, uh, on, a, a, a sort of a boat tour through the swamps and he, they meet Victor Crowley, who's sort of like the, the villain in the franchise. And he starts off with this Louisiana Bayou accent. And I'm like, Hey, y'all try the crawfish yet? That's Victor's Crowley's house over there. And it's like, it's like really bizarre because this Asian guy's got this Bayou accent and it's horrible because I can't do it, but it's, it's meant to, that he's putting on an ax. So, and then when the, when, when Victor Crowley comes out and starts like hacking people up, he drops that accent and then he does this, he has this Asian accent. He's like, Oh my God, I just, you know, took this job because I thought I could make some money. You know, it's like, Oh my gosh, this, this guy was, you know, putting on the whole act. I remember then, when I saw the movie in the theater, which was, mm-hmm. So the, the, there's a funny backstory with Hatchet. The first Hatchet, I was close with a lot of the guys at Anchor Bay. They were distributing a film I did. And I, okay. they introduced me to Adam when he came to Toronto. And, um, and Adam and I got to talking. And I was, I had just started doing a movie with um, uh, a cinematographer named Dean Cundy, who had shot all John Carpenter's films. So Adam was a big okay. fan of Dean's. And we got to talking. And you know how Adam is about. He knows everyone that's ever made a horror movie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so he said, well, I want, you know, after the movie, like, tell me, you know, everything you think about it. I want to get all your input. And, and I immediately thought Adam was the best. He was, he was such like a, a good spokesperson for, for horror filmmakers. Um, yeah. And I remember going into the screening and, and that part where your character all of a sudden sort of breaks into like speaking with this completely different accent. Because as you said, you're you're kind of doing this southern whatever it is Louisiana kind of drawl, 
And then when you when thing the right. shit is the fan and you start yelling, you totally have this like I don't know. It's like it was like this very sort of stereotypical, almost sounding kind of Asian accent that the audience cracked up laughing. And I kind of was like, I think it's so funny kind of what Adam, you know, and you were doing with that character because he's so, it's such a shifty character. (laughs) Like you don't really, he's such a, you know, you can't really buy into anything he says in that movie. Right. Yeah. So, um, um, so the, the, the character has that Asian accent and then that was how it was written. And then here's where, kind of like where, where I came in, where I was like, I was like, Adam, I, I get the joke. Um, but at, you know, the, at a certain point it's like, I don't want people laughing at the accents, but I said, how about at, at a certain point yeah. when the shit really hits the fan, he drops the Asian accent and he just, I start speaking normally. And you're like it, it, it milks that joke for one more beat, but at, at the same time, he becomes all of a sudden yeah. this progressive character, you know, um, that, that we, we don't, we haven't seen before. And, and he's like, and that's what I'm talking about where like if if it was a younger actor, they'd probably just read it as is and and not offer a suggestion because they didn't think they could, you know, whereas I felt a little bit more empowered and also coming from inside. Like I didn't want to like wreck his script, but I'm like, you know, let's I get the joke. I get the sensibilities, but I think this will fall in line. And Adam, you know, had you know, wasn't like this dictator and he's always was very open and he's like, Oh my gosh, yes, you know, let us totally do that. And um, but at the same time, he's he's not Asian, and a lot of writers aren't right. Asian who are writing these things, so they don't know. They need they they if they're smart, they're open to if they hire they did the right job to hire the right actor to trust the instincts of all of your your actors um, with their characters. And like I remember my stunt double um, Stephen Ho. He's been working in the industry for so long. He's one of the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, he's that he, he goes on Conan and kicks Conan's ass all the time when Conan does those sketches where about a stunt guy, like how a stunt guy fights. And um, Steven came up to me. He's like, dude, he goes, I, I've never seen anybody in my career do that. <laughs> to, to be able to, to talk to a director and have them change to make it less, you know, you kind of, you just kind of just suck it up and be like, okay. And all of a sudden I was like, this is now all of a sudden then it was off and running. It's like a bright light. Like I'm just going to grab everything I can get right now. I don't care. I'm going to make the best that I can. You know, there's some things that I I've turned down to where it's like, I think was like unredeemable. <laughs> I'm like, this thing is horrible. I don't think, and it's going to go anywhere anyway because of, you know, the sensibilities, but it's very rare. Usually I can find something and, and sort of, um, feel empowered to, and, and everyone has been very open. Nobody has ever said, you know, um, you know, cause I'm not, you know, I, trying to change the script, you know, I'm trying to, trying to, you know, make it better from my, my experiences and, and sensibilities, you know, um, that, that will only help the project. So, yeah. So that's, that's kind of the long story of, of how I choose projects really. It's, it's really, you know, I'm just going to, I just just trying to grab everything and <laughs> and and, uh, and yeah. figure it out, you know, after the fact. But when you're when you're doing something like Hatchet, you know, with Adam and Adam's a very, you know, I've never worked with Adam, uh, but he seems like the kind of director who would be open to suggestions from his actors. And, you know, what I mean, he's 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 I would guess, you know, and correct me if I'm wrong, but Adam is the kind of director where you'd feel comfortable coming to him with an idea because he wouldn't just shoot it down on principle. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, it's it's he's game for for anything, and uh, and I'm glad that we're enough on the same page that because um, it it sucks when your ideas get turned down, which I understand, but like I don't think an idea has been turned down. We're like we're 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 always. Uh, in sync where um we, we did this uh <laughs> where i thought i would be pushing the limits was i did his last uh, scary sleepover um on uh, that he has on youtube um and everyone always brings in uh, they they do an interview and at the at the middle they they switch into pajamas and they sort of like they're lying down and sort of doing like pillow talk you know about what's what scares them and like uh-huh. i i sleep i sleep naked so i thought it'd be funny i said adam I don't know if this is pushing it, but how about at a point where we change into pajamas, I come out nude and you guys blur out my junk <laughs> and, <laughs> and eventually you throw me pajamas, you know, and be like, and you're like freaked out. And he's like, oh my God, that is so effing funny. I've always wanted to do that with a guest, but I, I thought it would be weird, but I'm like, all right, let's do this. It's <laughs> you know? so like, I get, I get giddy, you know, just like thinking of stuff and like writing it out, like with hatchet three, um, he, there's a line where um, the the guys like he sees all the the previous because I play a different person in the first two uh, Hatchet movies and the, the third right. one I'm like the paramedic and the, the and the, they see these are like hey I see all these chopped up pieces of a two Asian males and you know what they kind of look like you you know and and I was like oh I was like Adam how about I pull the race card on him and be like yeah we all look the same I get it you know and he's like no no seriously you guys are you know so, um, which of yeah, course because so he was down for that character that they're looking at isn't it and isn't that the gag there it's like it's the body parts from the character you played in the previous film correct yeah it is me yeah, yeah. it's exactly me yeah, yeah. <laughs> so right. I, I, this poor this poor paramedic is like dude no seriously if they, I, you know it's not a racist thing it, it really looks like you but i feel like adam is sort of in 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 well he did, adam didn't do that one right he didn't is that the one he didn't direct that one he wrote he wrote it though so the script was his oh he wrote yeah. it okay yeah, okay, because I feel like McDonald directed it. Right. Yes, I wa- I was because I watched the Hatchets again to talk to you, and I was watching it. And as the in the last two, there's like this kind of joke that Adam seems to be having fun with of kind of taking a shot at sort of uh, the the wokeness of social media and stuff like that. That bit in the fourth film in Victor Crawley where the girl comes up and asks you to sign her breasts. And then the guy comes up and takes his dick out and asks you to sign his penis and all that. And then when your character is uncomfortable and he says, I'm going to put on Facebook that you're homophobic. I was like, I feel like that's Adam's kind of way of making that joke about, you know, the wokeness of social media. Right. But you know, I mean, we shot that in uh, 2000, like 16 or something like that this is before even the, the even the woke word i think it was just like common sense of of realizing of seeing what there wasn't a name to to that uh, uh but it was like he we already saw what was going on there just wasn't an official like name or or movement of of it but yeah yeah he was already ahead of the curve and of, of pegging it and being like you know this is what people do I saw in an interview that Adam said that that joke was about um, that horror movies had such an imbalance of, you know, like naked women running around and whatever. And so he, he yeah. wanted that in there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that was another one. I, 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 an idea I tossed out during that seed was, is a book signing. So the guy whips out his penis and, and I said, wouldn't it be funny 
and this is in the behind the scenes. They have video of me pitching this idea. I'm like, wouldn't it be funny if he put his cock right on top of my face on the book and then everyone's like cracking up. I'm like, oh my God, what am I doing? What? <laughs> what am I doing to myself? I mean, that's how like objective I am. Like up, like even at my expense, you know, I'll, I'll pitch yeah. ideas, you know, I'm like, oh my gosh, why am I even telling you this? <laughs> it's funny. Cause like, you know, that the characters you've played in, in the Hatcher films also like they're, you're different. Well, you play Andrew in the last two, right? But in the first two, you play two different characters and they're all pretty different. Um, you know, when, when it got to the third one where you were, were you like, how are you guys going to bring me back again? We did this twice already. (laughs) Like, Right. Yeah. I think at at that point it was, it was, uh, we had enough goodwill where it's like, they were just happy to see uh, my character in some way, <laughs> you know? So that's why yeah. we did that reveal yeah. where he's like carrying a whole bunch of stuff and then he brings it down and then it reveals my face. And then it's, it's kind of, and um, again, <laughs> I pitched to Adam. I said, you know what? You should take me off of all the credits and all of uh, the press so that it is really surprised that no one has an idea. I mean, it's like, <laughs> it sucks because I'm looking, I just look at the hatchet three, you know, cover and it's like, you know, my, my name's not on there. <laughs> it's, you know, it, I, I told them. You know, that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I it was like, funny. Cause when I, when I went back to watch them, I was, I remembered you being in all of them. And then I picked up the third one and your name wasn't on it. And I was like, what, I, yeah. he was in this one I'm sure of it so I put it on and there you were and I wondered why you weren't on the on the DVD artwork yeah I was like if we were going to keep this a, a real secret I you you can't put my name on any of the credits you know just just the end credits you know when the when the movie's done right <laughs> well it's funny because you know, the fourth film in its entirety was sort of a surprise wasn't it I mean it, it, it I don't think they announced the fourth movie right yeah, yeah. So that was that sucked. Like I, I, I basically wasn't in the third or fourth one because it's like we all miss. It. Usually, when you have a movie, you announce it, and there's like a big fanfare build up. Is like I missed that for the third and fourth one because the fourth one we we shot entirely in secret, uh, and we only revealed it at the um. We we sort of did this showing at the ArcLight in in Hollywood, and so that it was a ten year anniversary, which it was of the first film Hatchet One in two two thousand seven. That and then and then uh, we surprised Adam said, you know, thank you for the fans for being here, packed house to see a movie that they've already seen before, you know, ten years ago and probably own. And he said, I thank you. It's because of you, you know, that we, we've made this franchise and you're actually not here. You're not going to be seeing the first one. You're going to be seeing the fourth one that we just shot in secret. Enjoy, you know, and then and then the crowd went freaking bananas and it was it was so great, you know. So, yeah, awesome. it, was, it was totally in, in, in secret. And, and the the funny thing is that um, Felissa Rose is is in the fourth one. She plays my publicist. And she's good friends with um, uh, Caroline Williams, who was in the third one. And um, they had were having lunch together. And Caroline said, um, Felissa told me that she goes, Caroline said to me, hey, I think there's a fourth Hatchet movie in the works or something. I'm hearing stuff about it. And Felissa was like, no. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then I watched them. I was watching them at the premiere, you know, the screening. And uh, when uh, the fourth one ended, I see Caroline get up, walk over to Felissa, slap her on the back, and went, you 
bitch. <laughs> like she had kept it from her the entire time. It was great. <laughs> it's not always easy to to uh, to keep these things under wraps. I mean, do you do you remember if there was any particular tricks that Adam had everybody kind of hold to to make sure it stayed secret? Did you? I'm guessing you saw the title. Yeah, but it was called like uh, when it was, it was shooting. Called, uh, and stuff. Yeah, um, Adam's um, Adam always has a, a whiteboard of his projects, so he can keep track of, of the progress of them. And just because he does a lot of stuff and videos um, in in his studio, that if the camera actually swiped onto it, it wouldn't catch you know Hatchet Four, you know. So it was t- it was nicknamed uh, Arwin's Fancy Dinner. Um, his dog's name is Arwin, and he sometimes puts Arwin's dinner on like a fancy little like cup and goes oh you got your fancy dinner now and so it's arwin's fancy dinner that's what it was called the entire time uh, but it was actually was easier to think to, to keep it under tabs and you would think because this is like you just didn't talk about it like and and so like it almost didn't exist so when it actually did come out <laughs> and that there was like uh you know trailers i'm like oh yeah that's right i did shoot that <laughs> because it was just like out of my mind I'm like can't talk about it, don't even think about it um so um yeah it was it was it wasn't it wasn't so bad and uh, you know in the hatchet movies like they're stacked with like genre royalty um you know when you on each film and and, you know all these different like well-known iconic horror people you know in the first one you've got robert england and of course kane but like kane's a victor crawley but i I mean more of the cameo guys because you know every film has a bunch of them um did did you kind of you know you didn't always have scenes with those people, but were you always like told, well, we've got so and so in each one? And was there ever a particular person you were excited to work with or meet that showed up in one of the films? Yeah. Um I really enjoyed um getting to know Tony a lot more because he in the first one he was just in it for just a, a smidge and then he had a bigger role in the second one and uh, I got to like talk to him a lot. Um and and I was like just picking his mind about his career. And say, did you ever think that you would be this iconic, you know, horror guy, candy man, you know? And and he's like, no, man, you know, I went to Juilliard. <laughs> you know, it's just like, and then and then Candyman came along, and you know that you don't plan for, and life happens, you know, and uh, and it's sort of you just take the ground running from from then then on, you know, in that direction, and it's something different, but it's it's still good, you know. Um, and another one, though, my favorite was uh, Zach Galligan in the third one, uh, who played Billy in the Gremlins movies, because I just it's one of those movies that near and dear to my heart. And I was like, I need to know everything about that movie, all the behind the scenes stuff. And Zach has 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 he has an amazing memory, because usually when you ask people those things, it's like and it's fair enough. It's like. Boy, that was so long ago, and they're trying to like grasp at little pieces, but he remembers everything, and it was amazing. <laughs> You're like, keep going, you know, don't stop, and he'll yeah. keep going, and he knows he's he's it's it was uh, amazing, you know, just uh, the amount of recall that Zach has. Yeah, that's it's funny because you know on the show we have you know people of all different ages. But it's funny, I'll have someone on who, you know, is in their 40s, and I'll ask them about a movie they did 15 years in. Oh, I don't really remember that. And then I'll have some guest on that it's 75, and they remember the most minute detail of a production they did 45 years ago. It's just like, it's right, crazy the yeah. way that some people have that recall of, of their experiences on sets. 
Yeah, it's like it's 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 that's such a a film that I mean just goes to show you know how universal and how it can touch people. But like I I would be okay hearing what they had for craft services, you know, for lunch that day. You know, <laughs> it means as something as mind mundane that I'd be like, just tell me everything what happened. <laughs> Were you so when you did the first one? Did you know like Kane's history in the genre and that he was Jason and all that stuff? Because you know, did did Adam sort of give you a brief on on Kane's like history in the genre? Yeah, he didn't need to. Um, I I I, um, I always do my homework. I always know all, all my co-stars, everything that they've done. I, it's kind of weird. I, I cyber stalk all my co-stars, <laughs> you know, and 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 because because again, if they are part of something that. I am a huge fan of, I am going to pick their brain about it and be like, dude, what, what happened here? What, you know, just tell me your stories. Um, and that's kind of actually my, I realized my, my favorite part of, uh, working with other actors because they have experiences and, and, and they have at least one story that is really awesome, you know, that I can keep in my mental Rolodex, uh, and to share with other people too, you know? So, yeah. What, what what story did Kane tell you that that made that impression on you when you worked with him? Oh, let's see. Kane's story, Kane's story. Gosh, <laughs> I don't know if I have a. I can't remember if I have a story with Kane or not. It's just more with Kane. It's just more the the amount of times that we've worked together. We we always he's always in the in, in the uh, in the makeup um, for the most part in, on set, and he's always in the dark. Like you don't see him, and he's kind of like we'll say something like, "Hey Perry," you're like, "Oh crap!" <laughs> you know, he's like right. He's right there, and he's just like it's it's more it's less it's less. Um, it's it's part part you know keeping the 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 cast and crew you know to not be desensitized seeing him walk around in that you know but also I think um, if it's in the sun he needs someplace cool to 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 you know so he's always shaded and every every movie like the you know the third and fourth one he's like can't can you believe it's been we're doing a third one can you believe we're doing a fourth one <laughs> you know so we always have that experience because we're the only we're the only two that have done all of them. That's right. So yeah, we have that sort of kinship. Yeah, well, I I, yeah. I I read a quote from from Adam where he said that um, that that you're the final girl of the of the Hatchet films. Right. Yeah. Um, right. <laughs> that's kind of you know that's kind of cool, right? You get to be the not not many yeah, no, guys have that. Awesome. Yeah. No. It's 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 amazing. Yeah. It's. Yeah, I remember when Adam we did the th when we were shooting the third one. Um, he was on set just to kind of like you know pop in every once in a while and make sure everything was cool. Um, but he he was like saying, "I was like, so this is it, huh?" He's like, "Yeah, this is it." He's like, and I saw like a little glimmer. He's like of an of a idea in his head. He's like, you know, though if it were we're gonna do a fourth one, it would be just you <laughs> you know because he knows that at the end of the third one i survive you know so he's like it'd, it'd be just you and i think that i was like yeah that'd be funny and then uh <laughs> lo and behold one day you got this call and you're like oh what <laughs> what <laughs> that's like when you were when you're doing like when you did each hatcher film 
did you think, oh, I'm sure we're going to do another one? Or did each time, did you think, well, mate, this is probably the, this is probably the last one? Yeah, I mean, each one I thought was the the last one because the first one, I mean, independent film, we had no real like studio, big studio. So, um, yeah, and, and then my character was gone after the first one. So I was like, you know, I was like, yeah, I, I didn't even think about there being a second one. So I was very surprised when there was one. And then um, and then I, I, I died in that one. Um, but... Yeah, I, yeah, everyone I thought was the last ones. Yeah, I didn't think that there was going to be another one. The only one that I think there is one because they leave it open after the fourth one is that well, there's going to be a fifth one. <laughs> so that's the only one that I, I, I am thinking that there might be one because Adam has said there, there, you know, there is one that he has tooling around in his head, but you know, he's just got have to kind of work it out first. I mean, they 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 are the kind of movies that as long as Adam wants to keep doing them, he kind of can. You don't have to right. kill Victor Crawley. He's never dead yeah, permanently. No, you, you know can what I mean? Around just keep that, yeah, yeah. Or, or at least as long as maybe Kane's willing to put the makeup on. Right. Yes. Exactly. Um, switching to some another horror film of yours, I one I think it was your one of your first movies or like one your Shrieker is like right at the beginning of your career, right? my very first film and my first sort of um, delving into the horror world. So it was um, um, uh, just going into the studio and and seeing all the, 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 the practical horror heads of the masks were all displayed on, uh, in the lobby and stuff like that. And it was like, I was like, wow. Okay. What was, do you remember the name of the studio? I, I, for some reason I can't, I'm not, it's not, uh yes full moon thank you full moon entertainment yes so i had all the full moons um props up there and i was like wow okay and then i started doing my homework once i got the once i got the once i got the role and uh yeah so i got to sort of steep myself into everything that they've done puppet master and all the yeah mm-hmm. yeah. yeah yeah we had charlie ban who created full moon on the show a couple mm-hmm. weeks yeah, yeah. ago oh awesome um yeah, he's great. He's such a neat dude. He's been around for so he's like a Roger Corman, you know. He's given a lot of people their their breaks. Yeah. Uh, and David Dakota, who directed Shrieker, is kind of you know a, a, a horror veteran. Um, yes. what, what was your experience like working with with David Dakota? David was great. Um, he he was. Um, what was interesting was that. Um, I'm gonna switch ears again. Um, he. That was so. It's my first film, so I there's a lot of there's a very a fairly steep learning curve because I had done a couple episodes of television, but is the scheduling is very different. So I did not know how to read a call sheet and all of the little words that are there. All these this jargon I was not familiar with, like um, um, next to your name if it if there's a an SW that stands for start work. That means it's your first day. You know, if it's W that means you're working that day, you know, and if it's, um, uh, WF it's work final, that means that's your last day. And then next to it, it shows all the scenes that you are going to be shooting that day. And there's like an advanced schedule for the next day of what you're going to be shooting. I just tried to, I just was like, I get, I'm just going to memorize all my lines and I had a pretty significant role in it that, 
it's kind of hard to memorize like everything and be, you know, and so I, all I had to know was that I needed to prepare, really prepare the scenes for that day and be on it. Right. And I, the first day I had this huge monologue where I'm walking up the stairs and it's a very heavy exposition scene where I'm like, this is this guy's name, this guy's name. It's like walking and talking, moving through, navigating up the stairs saying, you're going to be in this room. He's in this room. And, and I remember just like, um, and I was just fumbling my lines during that monologue, you know, and, and with independent films, you have even less time to do takes because you, you've, you, you're going at a, a little faster s- speed than a, than a studio film. And so David, after like the third time, he's like, Hey, Perry, you've got to, you've got to get your lines straight, man. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And then I'm sort looking at the, at the schedule. I'm like, Oh my God. Okay, so that's what this means. I just had to learn scene 56, you know, for today, you know, and be on it. And I'm like, okay. So then the subsequent days I was on it, you know, but it's like no one was there to teach me all that stuff. Um, I wish somebody would have. That would have helped out a lot. Um, I just didn't know. I was like, because nobody's telling you you're, you're shooting these scenes. They just assume everyone's on the same page. Like, here's the call sheet. Here's all the information you need to know. And that's that. Um, but if you're yeah. an actor, you're like, uh, what does all this crap mean? You know, <laughs> you're like, can't this include some kind of like legend or decoder? So I know what the hell I'm looking yeah. at. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. But I mean, Dave, Dave was very patient and he was never, you know, but he, he you know, he, it was, he, it, uh, what I also learned from him was very clever from very, um, uh, um, from the start of my career was, so obviously you have different, scene days um and and the the biggest sort of time eater on a film set is the setup of the lights you know uh uh, all lighting a a set right so he says to save time um in the script every time that we walk down the stairs different days we would shoot all of those so that we would just have to light that one area once and so like we would keep you know the script supervisor would keep track so like day one we'd walk down the stairs do our lines whatever uh and then we would change clothes because it was day seven we're walking down those same stairs and it just saved that lighting so we're done we're wrapped with that location it was i was like oh my god that's so ingenious i don't think you know anybody kind of was like not many people were doing that you just kind of like um you know saving saving time and 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 money that way so yeah i learned very early on i'm like wow that's brilliant so anytime I shot my own things. I would, I would try to do that. Yeah, it was funny. So I read that that movie was shot in six days. Does that sound right to you? Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, and and that's crazy. Yeah. So when when I have other films that sh- shot on an abbreviated schedule, um, to kind of like have jumped into that and sort of been my my baseline, I'm like, that's nothing. Fourteen days, easy. <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, six days is like, I don't know. I mean, you, you know, did you shoot out your stuff in three days or something, or did you shoot it in a linear way? Like, I'm guessing you didn't block shoot then. No, no. Um, um, yeah, as I said, it was, it was all chopped up because we were, we were doing the, the lighting. We were basically shooting. The lighting setup was the priority, you know, that that's how we were able to move so fast. Uh, so we're just knocking out locations. Um, so it definitely was not right. uh, a linear situation. 
so yeah, I th- I th- that's that's why I was like, wow, that's how that's how you do it if you want to do it uh, efficient and you know, uh, um, and and economically. So yeah, it was it was great. Yeah, it was crazy that you reminded me, but yeah, it was six days that that it was it was done. Although, have you like when you're shooting as as an actor? Do you do you find that block shooting like that? Like, is that does that is that more of a challenge than when when you have a longer schedule and you can kind of you know spend more time with each scene and kind of polishing? Like when you're shooting out and you've got six days, like that doesn't give you a lot of time. You're not rehearsing and stuff with that amount of time, right? Um, It's it it really kind of like you know, you, you can just, you can adapt very quickly to the situation, to whatever it is. If you don't, then you, they, you just don't get used, you know, and people who catch on, like you can't yeah. handle it. Um, it's kind of, I mean, not to divert, but like I, I'm on this, um, uh, I've been on the soap operas general hospital for about uh, nine years now. And they shoot very fast. We shoot 120 pages a day. You know, a f- feature film is 120 pages. It takes like, you know, two or three months, you know, on a studio film. Uh, so it's, it's the people who can't handle it. I've seen them be let go, you know, just cause it, it, every time you, you need a second take, it costs, you know, it starts costing money and backs up the whole day. So, um, I, I think it's, 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 people are used to it. You know, as long as they're prepared, they get the call sheet. They know what, the, what needs to be prepared, uh, for the next day. Uh, it's doable, but at the same time, um, I produced a film, um, and, and, and uh, and it was just actually I didn't produce it. Uh, I shot one with Jason Miller, who I did um, uh, a movie I did called Unidentified with, and we were, I was doing a lot of press for it. That's why it's still fresh in my head. That like we shot that one almost all um, in order, which is rare. But we it, it was it, we were able to do it because it was just it was not many locations. But that actually helped as an actor, though. It was if you can do it, it's great because it's just less homework of. Um, of, cause like if I'm on like a traditional film where it's all over the place, even with hatchet, I, I have like index cards of each scene blocked out and I have it on a board so that when that scenes up, I know what it had has happened before what's happened after so that I have an idea. So that's like just a little extra work that I have to do in my head. Whereas with, uh, Madeline's, which is the film that I did with Jason Miller, it would just, you remember what had just happened because it's like, it's like unfolding kind of like in real time almost. Uh, so that it's, it's, it's a, it's a luxury. Uh, but, uh, it's it sometimes understandably, it, it can't happen that way all the time. And it sounds like you do a lot of research when you're coming on to a, a, you know, a project or when you get, when you book a new role, like tell me a bit about that process. Like if you're doing something like hatchet or shriek or ever, like, will you go and like watch all kinds of, you know, slasher movies and, you know, watch other actors performances playing similar characters? Like how does your, what's your research process like? Well, I think the, the research is always ongoing. It's kind of like, as you're watching things, you're like, Oh man, that was, that's cool. I'm stealing that, <laughs> you know, or I'm going to try to work that in, um, uh, sometimes in my own way, you know, if that inspires you to, to make it, you know, to, to, to spin off. I was actually, I was just watching, um, um, Goodfellas again because, uh, of Ray Liotta's death, you know, in honor of him. And I was watching it and, uh, my, my kids haven't seen it yet and, and they didn't, they didn't really know who Ray was. And I was telling them, um, so um, I was watching Ray, and I was like uh, saying that I think this is the 
best narration of that that complements the film that I've seen of any film, you know, like maybe Morgan Freeman's in Shawshank Redemption is a close second, but like it's it's such a part of it that like I remember when I was doing Better Luck Tomorrow, there was a lot of narration and I tried to capture what Ray did in terms of like making it not read but like an, a performance, you know, that was, you know, in, I don't know if I succeeded or not, but that was in my head when I was doing those, um, those things. So that was, so was the reason to answer your question, it's not, it's like, it's ongoing. It's kind of like, oh, if I see a part that requires something that I've have, you know, have seen, I'm like, oh, I'm, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll try to do what this person did because I think this will work well in this situation, you know, uh, so, comedic beats, especially with Hatchet, if there's like a certain comedic timing, I'd be like, oh, that thing that Matthew Perry did, the way he delivered this thing in Friends, you know, uh, would, would, would work well, you know, stuff like that. So, um, you know, you've got, you've got this huge library, you know, where we're so blessed with YouTube that we can go back instantly. We don't have to go through DVDs and be like, oh, wait, what was this scene? It's like you type it in, instant library. It's, it's amazing. You know, you have this amazing archive at our fingertips. And you do, you know, when you when you're talking about you know, doing something like w- the work you do in the soaps, uh, General Hospital, that's the show that, that yes, you're, that that's you're working. Yes, that's the soap on? I'm on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, so when you're doing something like General Hospital, or that you're doing something like a Hatchet movie, like you know, tonally those are very different. Uh, right. But but you know, at the same time, you you know, uh, the, the those movies are independent films. They're they don't have like you know the studio budgets and all that. And then soaps work on these crazy fast schedules. Have you worked on something where you, you know, like a, a studio film where you had that luxurious timeline or, or have you mostly worked on sort of these, you know, quick paced stuff? I've worked on a few uh, studio films. The The most significant one was uh, this teen comedy called The New Guy, uh, which came out in 2002, I believe, uh, with DJ Qualls and Zoe Deschanel <clears throat> um, and Eliza Dushku. And that was just, yeah, it was it was amazing to have a you're just working on a couple pages a day and you've got this amazing big crew you have people sitting around that you're like i don't know what that person's doing but they're going to use them when they need to use them you know whereas on an independent set everybody's hustling everybody's got two or three different jobs you know different hats that they're wearing um what was interesting to see that sort of uh dichotomy was when we did better luck tomorrow it was basically funded by 10 credit cards uh, for $250,000 on the director's credit cards. You know, he went 250 grand in debt. And then when we went to Sundance, it got bought by MTV Films and, um, and Paramount. And all of a sudden, we had a studio behind us. And so um, they saw the film. They wanted to reshoot the ending a little bit. And that one day of shooting was more than our entire budget on the entire film because all of a sudden they were involved and they had these you know that we had the craft services we had we had they were we were being taken care of you know which is good and bad because um it can get you a bit lazy if you have that much money because you know if you go come from the robert rodriguez school of filmmaking you know his his you know um, what were the the seven minute film school, whatever that video that he did uh, of shooting El Mariachi? Um, it's it's so great to see like when you have the limit of budget, how creative you can get, uh, and it's inspiring. 
Uh, where, uh, but at the same time, it's like if you there's sometimes where you you wish you didn't have to worry about stuff. Like when I produced uh, this movie, Unidentified, we were in the desert. <clears throat> we had a generator because we were shooting at night to to power all the lights, and then all of a sudden it kicked out, and then. I had we had the foresight of getting a second generator as a backup, but at the same time we're stressing like, oh my god, if this kicks, the second one kicks out, we're screwed. All the actors, all the things that we rented, it, that whole day's gone, and it's like a significant amount of our budget. And uh, with a studio, you don't have to even worry about stuff like that. It's like they've got these you know state of the art equipment because you know, and you need that. But sometimes you know you have excess of like you know dry, driving all of the actors to set as wasted money, you know, of having limo service and, and that kind of stuff that can go on the screen. So it's finding that balance. Right. Um, but it, it was interesting to see like, Oh my gosh, this whole day is costing more than uh, the, the, the whole 30 day <laughs> shoot that we, we, we did. Yeah. It's, you know, it's funny because I, I I've worked on a lot of different, like the start of my career and I was doing playback and I was working on big shows like, you know, you would see these things that they that they had time to do. And, and, and as I started to direct my own films and, and you know, you start generally on very small budgets, you know, I, I kind of had that thing of knowing what I didn't have the money for. So I could go into it going, well, we're not going to have time to do that. We're not going to have time. And and so as your career hopefully expands, you're getting to do bigger things or better things or you get a little more resources. You start to think of the things that you want to have time to do. But to me, it's like always a time thing. More money isn't about, you know, having a nicer trailer or fancier car. It's about having more time because that's always, right. you know, we talk about Shrieker right. on a six day schedule. It's like you don't have time for that that really cool shot you want to nail down because you just got to make sure it's covered. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I remember Justin getting really excited about um, MTV being able to cover to have a crane shot at the end because <laughs> we didn't have a crane uh, during the shoot. So he's like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited to have this crane. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, it's funny too, because it's like, I think it's also though, it's interesting. Like you look at your, your, you know, body of work and like you've gotten to play a lot of different types of characters and a lot of different you know types of projects you've done sci-fi and comedy and horror and soaps and like you know do you find that like you know i think you look at your body of work and it's very far from saying that you've been typecasting you're getting to play kind of everything is that something you you go out you've set out to do be like i want to play as many different kinds of characters as possible uh, not really. I I think it goes to the the sort of that that uh, sort of like reawakening where I was like, I'm just gonna try to do everything. I'm just gonna try not to say yeah. Try to say not to say no to anything. I'll say no to things if if it gets too much where I'm I'm overextended. <clears throat> That's the only time I'll say no. Um, but for the most part, it's like I'm just gonna because every time that I've done something and the process say the project didn't work out. I've always learned something from every every project, you know, uh, everything. Or I've made a a, a relationship uh, that that has stayed the test of time because of that that project, you know, and that's what came out of that. So it's 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 always, especially I mean, even with with the hatchet things, I was like, oh wow, this is a you know, this is like a horror movie, you know, I I. I I'm not sure, you know, if, you know, you're trying to think, you know, if, if, if this is the right quote unquote move to make, but it's like, let's just do it. Do you like it? 
do you think you can have fun? I think so. Okay, let's just do it, you know? And it's like, it's almost like going back to like the the seven-year-old you, right? Asking them like, do you think this is cool? Would you want to do something like this? Does it look like fun? If yes, do it, right? Um, instead of trying to overthinking what's the next career move, um, it's like, it, just have, have fun. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's like, for example, like uh, I, I've done audiobooks and I've gotten actually fired off of a lot of audiobooks because it is a hard skill set to be able to speak for such a long period of time without messing up. You can mess up, but the more times you mess up, it slows down the whole thing. And they, 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 they have studio time that it, it eats up into. So I've gotten fired. And, and I'm like, every time I've gotten fired, I'm like, thank God, I don't want to do this anymore. But uh, there's this recent one that I did for um, uh, uh, Goosebumps, and it was a children's book. The other books that I've done were like 400 yeah. pages. And a lot of like, like different like languages, French, German words that I would have to research. And it's like, oh my God, even they would tell me what it sounded like. I still couldn't mimic what they were saying. I was like, oh my God. But this one, I was like, this looks like fun. This story is fun. And it's like different characters I get to do. I'm like, I know you hate audiobooks, but this looks fun. And that was the first time I sort of like did a big U-turn. I'm like, even though I hate audiobooks, I'm like, this looks like fun though. I'm going to do it, you know, and it doesn't pay well. Audiobooks don't pay well at all, but it's like, I don't care. I, I have the time. Let's do it. And, and I'm glad I did because it, it, it turned out really, really well. And so that was a, a kind of like a recent thing within the past six months. So I'm, I'm constantly always reevaluating projects that are put in front of me. You've done a, a lot of voiceover work in general. I noticed that when I looked at your filmography, I was like, oh, you've done like a pretty hefty amount. Like, do you enjoy doing voiceover work? Yeah, and that was that's another one, another crossroads where I'm like, do I want to do voiceovers? I mean, because it's like all of a sudden that could be like a, a huge divergent of your career because I study actors' careers. I'm like, oh, wow, these actors, all of a sudden I see them starting to do voiceovers. All of a sudden that's all they do, <laughs> voiceovers, you know? Um, and so uh, when I started doing it, before in the beginning, it's interesting, they you get typecasted before I was doing a lot of like things that they didn't have because I can speak Cantonese. So I was doing a lot of Cantonese voices and Chinese voices. And I'm like, it's just weird. Like you can't even tell that I'm Asian, but like I'm only doing Asian. <laughs> I'm being offered only Asian opportunities. I'm like, this is weird. And then someone said, that's how you get your foot into the door because the voiceover community is very tight and small and they use the same people over and over again. So like to be able to like get your foot in, you have to almost be, have a speciality for them to get to know you. So for like the first like five years, that's all I was doing. And now I am, I'm always getting auditions and opportunities to voice characters who aren't <clears throat> Asian, you know? So it's, it's been, that's, I was like, Oh, okay. So, but to answer your question, I, if there's only one type of acting I could do, <laughs> it would be motion capture video game work. Uh, because it's, it combines, in my opinion, the best of all the worlds. One is, that you can do the, uh, you don't have to project like in a, in a theater because you've got the mic right over here. It's, it's onto your face, right? Uh, but at the same time, it's like a stage production because you're interacting with all the other actors. But it's like a film because you can do it over and over again. It's not just one take, uh, like a stage production. Like you mess up, you got to keep going on. Uh, and the greatest thing is that you don't, it, I'm not limited to what I look like. 
you know, I, in this video game I did called Sleeping Dogs, I play the main bad guy in it. And in a live action production, that would never happen, you know, because I'm like, you know, five, six, and I, I have a boy next door kind of look to me. That, But all they did is they changed my avatar. They made my character six foot five and and i just got to put on the voice and it's it's fine you know it works and it's like oh my god it just opened up a whole new world of roles that i had all of a sudden this access to is amazing where i'm like threatening this guy in the game and the guy is actually taller than me in real life but in in the game they make him <laughs> shorter than me and i look menacing and it's like holy crap this is amazing uh so yeah the motion capture video game work i i would love to do all the time. My husband uh, always asks me before I have a guest on the show who's coming on that day or who I'm talking to, and and then if he doesn't know them, he'll look them up or whatever. But he knew who 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 you were, and uh, and he said, "Can you? I want you have to ask Perry about something for him." I said, "Sure, what, baby?" And he said, "Ask him about what 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 his involvement was in Ghost of Tsushima. He's a huge gamer, and he was like, he's obsessed with that game, and he saw that you worked on it." Yeah. It- and it's it's sad because it's it's not such a, that great of a story because uh, I went in and I recorded uh, 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 Jin right is it, is the main character's name right or Din or something Jin I think it's Jin yeah um, yeah so I think Jin is right yeah Jin yeah Sakai I think it's or Jin. something like that yeah I I, I voiced we had a whole day where um, it was there's a storyline where I play his loser brother. And we have this adventure together where we have to, I have to help him with something. And, um, and then I end up dying and getting killed. And there's like this emotional moment where he loses his brother, but even though he's a loser brother that they, they kind of have the sort of this closure moment. And it's very, very nice, but it's sort of like one aspect of the game, but enough that it was separated that I guess it just didn't work or they felt it was too long or whatever that they just, excise that entirely because i i asked people who played the game like did he have some sort of loser brother or whatever and they're like no i didn't i didn't see that i'm like oh my god they totally cut it out but they obviously used my other like like generic voices or, or sayings that they could put use it as a as, as a size soldier or whatever but it was enough that they i still had a credit in the game so that's my contribution to ghost of tushima <laughs> <laughs> maybe in it in of all the, the pack, sometimes you know yeah uh, right the, dlc they'll, they'll or something re- yeah it. i don't know yeah so of all the games you worked on where it was sleeping dogs the one where you kind of had the most meat to chew on yeah 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 that one's that one was the yeah and and there's a uh, my scene there's like a, um um if you haven't played the game or people who aren't f- familiar it's Basically, this uh, it's kind of like The Departed, where you have your main, the character that you're playing is sort of this undercover cop that goes into the the triad, which is the Asian gangsters in Hong Kong. <clears throat> I play Winston, who's the main bad guy, and he, I sort of really start gravitating towards this main character, Wei, doesn't know that he's an undercover cop, and starts teaching him the ways of the underground world, and and. And as a human being, he just started, he starts, even though he's a criminal, they start really connecting and it becomes really tough. And there's a scene where my character ends up getting killed in a shootout and it's very emotional. Like if you go on YouTube, look up Winston uh, Chu, Sleeping Dog's Death, 
you look at the comments, everyone is like, they're wrecked when they got to that part. They're like, I can't believe this happened. This is so sad. And, uh, but I did think that um, there was a missed opportunity that we never got to see Winston realize that Way was a cop. And I think that should have been the big boss fight at the end of the game, you know, to be like, oh my God, I treated you like a son, whatever. How could you do this to me? And then they, they go head to head. And I think that would have been an awesome payoff. Uh, but the death is very emotional um, in the game. But I was like, wow, this is so, so, so great. Like I would never have a chance to do something like this uh, in a live action situation. Actually, they, they announced that they're doing a Sleeping Dogs movie. And I was like, automatically, I'm like, oh, crap, I'm not playing my own role, <laughs> my, own, my own character <laughs> that I originated. <laughs> so sad. Yeah, I guess that's probably not going to work uh, if it's live action. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I watched a movie that you're in that I'd never seen before. Uh, the one, The Hazing. Uh, it was fun. Mm. I liked it. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of comedy in that one uh, with Tiffany Shepis who I've done, I think, like five Brad films Dourif. with her at this point. Yeah, and Brad Dourif. Yeah, yeah. Brad was Brad had just come back from um, doing Lord of the Rings uh, when we were doing that. We're like, wow, sounds like it's going to be cool, <laughs> you know? And then it became this huge blockbuster franchise. Yeah, Did Ralph- you, were you, I'm assuming you were well aware of Brad's genre credibility yes. uh, like pedigree yeah. yeah it's chucky yeah yeah no definitely <laughs> yeah did, did all the research and that one actually learned uh, uh a nice thing with uh a moment with uh, tiffany shepis uh, who's you know done a lot of horror movies you know kind of dubbed kind of like one of the Tons, sc- yeah. scream queens right um we have this scene together which is sort of like a romantic scene um and we were in rehearsal and Tiff, you know, we're, and I'm trying to give my, you know, emotional beats and, and make it like have depth. And she's like, she's like, hey, you're doing a, you're doing a great job, and you're bringing it, and but you got to pick it up because this is a horror movie, <laughs> and people are gonna be bored. And I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> okay. She's right. She's absolutely right. And it's, it's great. I love learning stuff because the, all the acting is the same in video games, audiobooks, horror movies, different genres, but you got to tweak it just a little bit for each specific platform. And 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 because they each have their own expectations and and things like that and that that sort of people expect and and are used to. So it, it's 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 great to sort of learn, but it's at the same time you're like you're kind of taken aback. You're like, "Wait a second." You know, I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do, <laughs> but you know, for for soaps, every it's it's just a little bit different, and uh, they're all different. They all have different sort of demographics that sort of tune in, and uh, because of that, your character on 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 the soap on General Hospital, like, who, tell me a bit about who you play on on the soap. Uh, this character, his name is uh, Brad Cooper, and he started out as sort of this uh, lab technician, very skeezy. He would you know, take bribes to switch DNA tests and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, um, at one point then I think he became just, I added a lot of, I think a lot of my personal, cause I also, I had never done a soap opera before. So, um, you know, I wasn't accustomed to a lot of the, the soap sort of like things to do in a soap opera, you know? So I would, I would, I would find moments where I was like, this, this is pretty funny. 
you know, I, I think I'm, I'm going to add a little bit of humor to this, this, this line right here. Or if somebody like, cause, cause the trope kind of like with soaps is like, you, you kind of like, you're talking and someone will overhear you, you know, and, and that's how things happen is like, why? And then I sometimes when I would have a chance to be like, you know, would, would say like, you know, point that out, you know, <laughs> kind of like the Jamie Kennedy of horror movies, you know, like he's saying, you never say I'm coming back. Whereas like, why would we be talking this loud in the hallway? You know, that I would bring stuff like that up uh, it, when it was appropriate, you know, right. and, and it just like people start, it became, you didn't have a character like that. That was like kind of like sarcastic about the the whole thing, but not dissing the genre of the soaps at the same time. And, um, they, it sort of kind of grew from that and they gave me a, this nice juicy storyline where, um, my, I, I, um, uh, my character's gay on the show. So, uh, my husband and I, we get married on the show. It was the first, um, uh, gay marriage on, on general hospital and we adopted a child and my child dies that day. And there's another one, um, who was this evil woman on the show and she gives birth the same day. And, but like everyone's fighting out all of our secrets. So he said, let's just trade babies. I'm going to screw over everyone and say, Oh, look, my baby died. And while you get to, you and your husband get to have a live child, you know, and raise him and be happy. And so for a year and a half, I had a traded baby storyline and, um, I recently, (laughs) the secrets all came out and, um, and the promo was great. If you look at it online, they said the secrets finally come out. And you see all of us like turn to screen. And, and at the end, the baby even turns to screen, you know, <laughs> turns to camera and be like, the final secrets are coming out. <laughs> and, um, and so my character was in prison for about, and, and, and in prison meaning off the page for like a year and a half. But it, it, it coincided with COVID the lockdown so no one was working anyway so kind of was nice timing and then finally got out and now um my character is sort of trying to make a a life of himself but he's got story he's got ties to the chinese mob uh which was a big storyline on general hospital in the 1980s so they're bringing that back in sort of like sort of like a, a canon in in the in the in the show in the show so um he's trying to be on the up and up but his family ties are starting to trying to pull him back to the side of, of being a bad guy. So that's where I am right now. It's funny. You're describing like uh, the thing of like, even the baby kind of looking at the camera. And I was thinking of, um, I had another actor uh, named Kevin Spiritus on the show recently. And, he, and Kevin works in, in soaps a lot. And, mm-hmm. but uh, um, I was watching, he did the Hills have eyes too, which Wes Craven directed. And in the Hills Have Eyes too, I guess there was a problem with the button, the money or something. And they didn't get, they didn't, they, they, they lost like 10 pages of shooting. They couldn't get all this stuff. So the movie came in short. So Wes Craven in the editing has like a lot of flashbacks in the movie that he kind of had to add to make sure the movie was long enough. Right. So the movie has mm-hmm. all these like zoom ins on people and then it does these flashbacks. And at one point the, there, the dog has one, they zoom in <laughs> on this dog and it has a flashback. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah i was like yeah it's great yeah. and it's like you know it's not up, even supposed up. to be like a funny movie right yeah, yeah. exactly like they yeah. just they just needed to get it in there somehow right. um you know and it's interesting too you're talking about like that arc like that you had on general hospital about you know there's a dead baby and all that i was like you know there's a different version of that that is a horror movie <laughs> Like, right, that premise yeah. can be transmitted. You know? Right. Yeah. And it, it's funny because I think like, have you ever have you ever gotten 
a script for something and thought, you know, based on some of the other work you've done, hey, this could be a great plot for a different genre. Do you ever kind of think of or imagine what what a storyline would be in a different genre space or how you would act differently if it was that genre space? Yeah, I can't remember exactly what it was, but I remember thinking um, that it would make a good uh, horror movie. Uh, one of the General Hospital uh, storylines where I'm like, oh, if we took this in a, a different direction, it, it would be very interesting, you know? <laughs> I was talking to um, an actor who's a friend of mine who, who who's done a lot of horror and a lot of Lifetime movies. And she was saying she was on the set of, of this Lifetime movie and she sort of, because she was doing them at the same time, she was like, I started doing the tone of the dialogue mm-hmm. as a horror movie kind of scene and not as a Lifetime movie kind of scene. Yeah. And we finished it. I was like, sorry, that was not, no, I need to do that. <laughs> and the director was yeah. like, why was that? And Absolutely. I was like, that must happen when you're, you know, if you're shooting two very different things at the same time that you could mix up kind of that, you know, you talked about that tonal difference of Tiffany Shep as being like, you need to kind of lighten it up a bit because this is a horror movie. Yep. Have you ever had to kind of recalibrate when you're working between soaps and other projects? Yeah, um, it it hasn't. Um, I haven't. I've done. There's there's sort of like a time gap in between that that uh, between projects. I I'm never working on something that is overlapping like that. But when I was um, learning sort of like acting technique early in my career, because I said I was a business major, that once I came to 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 California, I knew that I needed to get some formal training. So I would watch the um, the when when people during the Oscars they were would would thank their their acting teachers, I would write down those names and I would study with those people. So um, I I kind of like did like this crash course of acting. So but the, the problem was that all of them are very different techniques. You know, one is very subtle. Uh, I did improv with the Groundlings, which is very big SNL type sketch type stuff. But it's also improvisation, very important to have in in your in in your wheelhouse. So I remember when I would I would take uh, I was studying with three different studios with three very different but equally as important techniques that like. I, I they would overlap where I would be doing my improv stuff in my subtle class that was just a little too big and I'm like whoa whoa I gotta <laughs> I'm in the wrong class you know I you you can't do that here you know yeah it's like you hear about people sort of having to adjust that they come from a theater background you know and they start doing film and sort of having right. to, to separate that they're not playing for the back of a theater anymore in film you know we can get exactly. right up in your face you don't have to project like that and yeah, just tweaking it just a little bit for every every respective uh, platform. Have you done theater? Yes, that's what I started out with. I did a um, when I first came out. There was a theater company. Uh, they were all Asian American, but they kind of wrote their own. It was kind of like a SNL thing, but it was um, it wasn't all comedy. There was like one scene where. We would talk about like, you know, um, we would say like, you know, good is called good, bad. And you would say the good thing about being Asian and bad things about being Asian is like a good thing about uh, being Asian is like Yao Ming of the Houston Rockets because at the time he was huge, right? And and, and basketball. And it goes, a bad thing about being Asian is not being able to hug your dad. Uh, A bad thing about being Asian is not being able to find your shoes at the door after a party because everyone takes their shoes off and you're like, you got to sort through all the shoes. So like you have people like 
like laughing at the shoe line and then crying the next thing about their dad because they're like, oh my God, yeah, I can't hug my dad. And you're just a cultural thing. And and so that was kind of like um, uh, when I first came out to California, we I was part of that uh, theater company troupe and we would travel all around the country and perform at colleges. Uh, and I did that for like four or five years. Yeah. Do you ever have desired to go back to theater and get back on stage again? Uh, not really. Only because that it, it takes a lot of time. Um, and, and, um, and for me, I like to do things, the work that I'm out and researched and work that I put into something, I, I like to, for me, I like to do it once and have it captured perfectly with all of the sound and the cinematography um, uh, and, and the most amount of people that can take and view it over and over again through, you know, streaming or owning it on, you know, on, on, on whatever uh, um, medium that they want to have it on. Uh, so with theater, it's like kind of like when I've done theater, like it's, it's for like a, like an, uh, like, you know, a couple hundred people. And it's like, Oh, that was so good. Like I got to do it just as good again the next day. Like some people feed off of that and love that, you know, it's going to be different every day. Not me. You know, I, I kind of like, if I'm going to do it and put my energies into it, it's going to be efficient (laughs) for, for me. But you know, I, I, I get not everybody's like that and they love how unpredictable things can get and it can be different day to day. But for me, it's like, I, I want everything that can be great, you know, to, at that time, you know, that with all of the other skill sets of everybody else as cinematographer, sound, uh, scoring, you know, I, I want all of that stuff for that moment to be, you know, on point. Um, I'm curious, like when you were young, when you were a kid, like, do you remember the first horror movie you saw that like scared the shit out of you? Yeah, The Exorcist. Yeah, that was just <laughs> it was I I'm, it wasn't I didn't even see the whole film. It was like it playing with the older kids at a party. And and I was just kind of like walking back and forth, but I couldn't stop watching the screen like oh my god what's wrong with that girl <laughs> you know she's like freaking me out and uh <laughs> linda blair is like oh what is i'd never seen anything like that and, and it would be in my th- the visual thoughts in my head and it just would make my heart you know beat so you know like i was like oh, it just totally different type of emotional reaction um uh, and I hadn't even seen the whole film, you know, just watching her throw up and climb the ceilings. And it's like, oh, wow. <laughs> what are we watching here? It's amazing to me that The Exorcist, I think more than any other movie, has done that to to more people than like I ask a lot of people that question. The Exorcist yeah. is the most prevalent example of a movie that traumatized people (laughs) (laughs) i think you know and i think i think it has something to do with that movie is just so the the fear factor of it is such a 
it's such a primal type of, you know, it's the corruption of innocence. And so if you're a child, you mm-hmm. see that and you, and you think of, oh, my God, you know, and if you're a parent and it's about loss and it's dealing with people's faith and, you know, there's so right. much going on in that movie. And then it just the imagery is just terrifying. I mean, it's it's I can it's it's not hard to see why that movie has fucked so many people. Up. Right. Yeah, and also at that time, you had a lot of the practical effects were not that good. You can always like back off and be like, oh, that looks so fake that like I can distance myself from that. Whereas like, oh, wow, this looks real enough that it's like this could happen. You know, how can I how can I avoid this happening, you know, to myself? (laughs) Do you remember the last movie you saw that scared you? Yeah, let's see. Um, yeah, it was. Um, shoot, I can't remember the name. I, I, as I get older, it's nothing to do with the film. It's it's my memory. Um, but Adam, Adam always takes us out <laughs> to see a, a movie, a horror, or a movie. Um, just to sort of bond the cast. And this was before Victor Crowley. They were about to shoot it. Um, don't. Don't look. I think it's called. Is it Stephen Lang? He's the blind okay. guy in the in the home. Is that what it's called? Is it Don't Look? Oh yeah. Um. Uh, don't breathe. Don't breathe. Yes. Don't breathe. Okay. That one. Um. <clears throat> that one. Yeah. And it's it was so well done because it's like this guy is blind yet I'm like terrified of of his capabilities. You know of of uh yeah it was just it was I hadn't been scared in a while. I remember like. Um, like doing the old fingers halfway in my ears situation, you know, um, that I hadn't done in a long, long time. <laughs> Cause I know I, I'm well versed <laughs> enough. In, yeah. I'm, I'm well versed enough in camera framing to know how to prepare for jump scares, <laughs> you know, um, you know, um, but this one was, it, it, it kind of circumvented that and it was very well done, very suspenseful. But do you find like, you know, people have asked me that I'm sure you've been asked this too. people think that if you if you make horror movies and you, you know, and you've start you've learned the tricks and over that that horror movies that you can't watch them anymore and just enjoy them. And I I always tell people, I'm like, yeah, that's I think when you're younger and you're starting to make films, that's harder to do. But as you start to get old, you start to relearn how to switch that off and just enjoy the movie again. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you definitely um, can appreciate craftsmanship um and and people trying to trying to know the rules and trying to like tweak them a little bit um for for uh, a a more savvy and modern audience so i think you have that you know that the stuff that you know um um jordan peele is is doing you know with all of his stuff entering into the horror genre is like really great and i think people are appreciating you know the his sort of appreciation of uh, what has come and and t- bringing it, bringing that genre to a new audience. So um, you have a lot of people doing that. So yeah, I think the, it it is in a good good space right now. Um, yeah, that that people can can enjoy that, even though they they are making horror films. 
you know, you talked a bit at the beginning of our conversation about sort of, you know, starting your career and, 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 you know, the way that representation was playing out at that time. And, and, you know, for, for you as an, an, you know, an Asian actor, or, and then you've also played a, you know, a gay character on a soap and, you know, for gay actors, there's been certain stigmas they've had to overcome. And, you know, do you think that representation in, in, in film and television is, is moving in a positive direction? Are you kind of pleased with how you're seeing that move? Yeah, yeah, it's it's been it's been amazing. The fact that I mean, um, <clears throat> when when Better Luck Tomorrow came out, a lot of people were at, were saying, you know, how long do you think it'll take for you know things to be kind of like where you you would hope them to be? And everybody had said, you know, maybe you know, hopefully five six years. And I was like a bit pessimistic. I was like, I think like twenty years. And it's uh, next year will be the twentieth anniversary of Better Luck Tomorrow, and um, the fact that right now you've got Raymond Lee being cast as the lead in the reboot of um, uh, Quantum Leap, an Asian American character, it's like what? It's like I'm so I'm still even though I I say you know everyone deserves a chance, like to me I'm like. How did this happen? Other side of me is like, how did this happen? How how is this allowed? <laughs> you know, like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. You know, um, it's it's incredible. Uh, and and like there's like absolutely like no jealousy at all. Cause sometimes if someone get a role, I'm like, oh damn, why didn't I get that? It's like, I don't care. This guy, he looks cool. Uh, he's a great actor. It's like, oh my God. That, it's, I'm just glad that the powers that be are are at a place that they can it doesn't matter, you know, they're not looking at, at the dollar signs or they think that they can make money off of this guy that to be the face of this franchise. And it's, and, and, and it can, it, yeah, that it's going to work. So, um, it's, it's, it's a huge, that would, I would never think that I, we'd be able to have an Asian American to be the, the lead of a television uh, series. It's always going to be the, the assistant person, this, you know, two, three, you know, not even number two, kind of like, you know, fourth or fifth on the, on the call sheet, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I think too, it's great to see it, you know, as it pertains to, to the genre, you know, you talked about something like Jordan Peele and like what he did when he did get out, you know what I mean? To see the genre starting to really, um, make space for like you know films that have a, a, a social message or or want to talk about you know diversity or representation you know and you know, i'm starting to see you know more and more gay genre filmmakers mm -hmm. and that you know that pleases me it's like it's good to see in the genre space which some people i think associate with you know being filled with just like teen a movies and you know and back you know we on the show we've talked to various guests about how you know back in the 80s horror was like just a step above like porn um right right you know and now it's now it's kind of nice to see you know something like get out uh win an oscar right you know? yeah yeah and also like um at one point like because you know obviously uh adam and joe lynch are very good friends um, so it's like, um, at, when, when Victor Crowley came out, um, Joe's movie, uh, Mayhem came out and uh, I was like, I just realized I'm like, oh, wow, you guys both use Asian American leads in both of your films. Cause I, I was the lead in, in Victor Crowley and then Stephen Ewan was in, in Mayhem. I was like, wow, that's really cool. <laughs> you know, and they didn't do it on purpose. You know, it was just, just, you know, it, it just worked for, they didn't, it was, then think about it, you know, it, it was just like whoever was going to be right for this, 
for their, their, their films. So it was like, it was really cool to see that, you know, genre films are probably actually always been ahead of the curve, you know, um, than the people who are like making films and yeah, television I, by committee, you know? Yep. George Romero, I, I, w- I remember told me once that, uh, you know, on the original Night of the Living Dead, which was made in the sixties, can't remember the date. I should know that. But anyway, on the original Night of the Living Dead, you know, which where the lead actor was was African-American, that that uh, a lot of people tried to give him credit for, you know, being you know brave and casting an African-American at a time where African-Americans weren't the leads in in, in, in American features. And, you know, and um, and George saying to me, you know, everyone wanted to kind of and he was like, I, that none of that was on my mind. I just hired the best guy for the part. He came. We had auditions and I. It, to me, it was it, it, it would it, he was just the best person to audition for the role. Um, I thought that was so interesting because it still speaks to like that George is a filmmaker that he wasn't clouded by the same thing as all the other filmmakers who were just casting white guys in those parts. He didn't care about right. that, and that's yeah. still pretty cool, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have uh, like a lot of young actors who who ask you sort of for advice if if they're going to get into the business or sort of how you know they should go about it? Uh, not lately. Um, I, I I haven't been in in sort of like with with general. <laughs> it's funny in General Hospital. Um, that's which is I've been working on the most lately. And if I do voiceovers. I'm by myself. <laughs> so like, right. Um, someone, I had just done this big scene on, on, on general hospital where an, a younger actor asked me like, Oh, so how long have you been on the show? And, and so these are the people I usually interact with is the people on the show. And I was like, Oh, I've been on about nine years. And I was looking around. I'm like, all the other actors, I was the baby of the group. Everyone had been on the show like five or six years before I even got on. <laughs> so it's like, I'm interacting with actors who are like, very seasoned they kind of like it's like the the machine kind of like you you kind of like stick with um the, these people who kind of know what they're doing so um i i don't get to interact a lot with uh, younger actors if i do it's through my my website or something like that and they'll they'll, e- they'll send an email every once in a while saying how do i get in and and it is such a hard question to answer that i want to be thorough but at the same time i can't take up you know, five hours every time to, so I always say, go to my uh, website, look at FAQ, frequently asked questions, number answers, number three and four or something like that. And I give a whole, I kind of direct them there and it tells them what books to read and, and my, my out, my outlooks on, on things about work ethic. And, and so it's all there if they, if they want to um, learn about how to get into the business. If, you know, and, and if, if a, fan or, or someone you know that, that knows you from your work approaches you you know just when you're out and about is it is it more like do you notice a difference between someone who's say a fan of your work from soaps versus someone who's a hatchet fan yeah it's uh especially like conventions or or, or yeah even yeah in the street or in a conventions like you can you can kind of 
tell like if they're you know middle-aged woman comes up to me i know it's general hospital if it's a guy who's like some tattoos <laughs> and stuff like that that he's a hatchet fan but sometimes i'll get thrown every once in a while and i'll get someone who's middle-aged woman and i'm like oh you're a fan of general hospital no i love the hatchet movies <laughs> you're like what you know and and vice versa you have someone all tatted up and they're a general hospital fan you know it's like okay i shouldn't profile you know <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I want to ask you. So if, if, if a young actor were to approach you and say, what's one point you would give me? I want to be an actor. I want to get started. What's one tip you give me about that first step to becoming an actor? To do one thing a day towards your career. Um, because a lot of acting is waiting around and it's kind of what you do when you're not working that will set up your <clears throat> your career and your work ethic when the phone's not ringing because if you're you're working as an actor let's just say you're getting like five jobs a year you know yet you're you're considered doing pretty well and and just to say you work three days on each project that's like you know that's you know 15 days what are you going to do for the those <laughs> that rest of the you know 11 months you know, um, you're just going to be sitting around. If you're doing one small thing a day towards the larger goal, you will have done 365 things um, towards the bigger picture, right? Whether it's just watching a movie, breaking it down, studying why they did this, the camera angles, things like that, reading a play, working out so that you're physically fit and ready for when your opportunity comes that you're not like, oh my gosh, I got to hit the gym and look good. Because it's, it's not even just looking good, it's feeling good and, and feeling confident. So that's out of the way. That's one less thing out of your head, right? So all these things matter. Uh, and But the things that every time you you don't do one thing a day that's that's almost 365 things five things that you could have done that you did not do um towards your larger goal so one one thing a day um if you can do more great but to make it manageable and and easy to do just one thing a day towards your career Gary, thank you so much for coming and chatting. This is, I've really enjoyed this. I love your work. I think you're uh, clearly a really hardworking actor and I love, thank uh, you. you know, seeing you in the hatchet movies and stuff, but, but so I hope you'll, uh, you'll keep visiting the horror genre as you keep moving on with your, with your career. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And it's a great talking to you. It's, it's really, really cool. Um, really cool interview. Thank you. You've been listening to Kevin Lane Spill Your Guts with host and filmmaker Kevin Lane. Kevin Lane Spill Your Guts was created by Kevin Lane, produced by Jason Hill, and edited by Justin Beam. The Spill Your Guts theme and incidental music was created by composer Mike Haddon. Original artwork and design elements generously provided by Matthew Terrian. Spill Your Guts is only made possible by the support of listeners like you. And the most important thing that you can do to ensure that these amazing interviews keep coming is to simply get the word out. You can find us on Facebook by searching Kevin Lane Spill Your Guts, on Instagram by searching one word, Spill Your Guts underscore podcast, and Twitter at Spill Your Guts underscore one, as in the number one. So post, comment, share, 
like, but don't forget, there's still no substitute for good old-fashioned word of mouth. The best way you can support what we do is to just tell people about us. Your friends, your family, your co-workers, whomever. Anyone with a pair of ears and a taste for guts. This has been Kevin Lane's Spill Your Guts. Thanks for listening.